this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer with Matt from Keep. This is a great conversation. Matt has been in the space for a while, and he actually started a company before Keep that was uh, focused on gift cards. And he was getting into the Bitcoin blockchain side of things. He was getting into crypto, and he saw the company that he was building was effectively becoming more of a centralized authority. And Keep came out of the notion and the kind of desire of him and his team to really create more of a decentralized process. And so we learned about what Keep is, and just to kind of give a brief primer, using off-chain containers for private data called Keeps that give smart contracts deep interactivity with private data without compromising transparency or audibility. And so we kind of unpacked what Keep is. Matt also, for the first time, I think, on the show, has really given us a really simplistic understanding of what a zero-knowledge proof is. And I won't go into the specifics because the way he did it was beautiful, but think of Where's Waldo, and he found a way to kind of use Where's Waldo and to figure out how to actually get people to understand what a zero-knowledge proof is. So it's a really great conversation with that. Remember, nothing on Baselayer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation with Matt. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Matt from Keep with us today. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great, David. How are you? I'm great. So this is a great one. Uh, I've had a nice relationship with some of the guys at Fabric Ventures, and they introduced me to Keep. I've been actually keeping my eyes, pardon the pun, on, on what you guys are doing there. Keep is a privacy layer for Ethereum that makes it possible for smart contracts to harness the full power of the public blockchain. We're going to have a great conversation about what that means and about possibly I have an opinion and maybe we might go there where you know corporations and others out there are starting to play with more private blockchains and they're saying because, well, they don't want to have all of their private data all over the public blockchain and having people get access to that. Maybe there's something that you guys are doing at Keep that can maybe get them enticed to start looking at public blockchains. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we might go there. Um, so if you could, for the listeners, tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you kind of got into this whole space. One of the things I like to you know, kind of preface is that on the show, we don't necessarily go through the origin story. Everyone usually goes through the origin story, and the origin story becomes nauseating. But what we like to do is really focus on what about the technology? What about the innovation within Bitcoin or blockchain, whichever chain you, you kind of came about first into? What about it really said, you know what, I have to drop everything I'm doing and I have to build around it. So with that, the floor is yours. Oh. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess I I've been uh, I've been doing startups for a while. I think since I got out of school, it's been about a decade of uh, you know working on working on various schemes. Uh, my background is in computer science, but uh, I think I've come from a bit of a family of entrepreneurs, and so I'm always looking for um, trying to better understand the economy, trying to understand the part I can play in it. And uh, so, you know, I'm not going to do full origin story on you, just but but the, the way that I got into this space um, 
was actually kind of funny. So I had a bunch of uh, like folks where I was uh, just out of school. I was working on an academic search startup, which, you know, is not particularly lucrative. You can probably already tell from that pitch. And um, and I had this like pile of gift cards at home. And one day it occurred to me, like, why am I just leaving these here? I could sell these and, you know, actually like get a piece of rent. Uh, and a normal person, maybe that's what you would do is you would sell them or you would uh, start going to those places uh, rather than spending cash. But what I did instead is I started buying gift cards from my friends. I um, partnered with like local a local business to buy gift cards on the cheap and then sell them on a profit. Um, and so this was just sort of a side a side hustle for me. Um, I, I started, I realized that I could do all this stuff online and start scaling it a little bit more. But when I did... Uh, PayPal wouldn't do business with me because they saw this as kind of a uh, gray finance. Like, why would we want to be involved with gift cards? And this was actually my first introduction into the space. So the reason I got into Bitcoin was I realized that there's this class of business that, uh, you know, traditional financial infrastructure really just even in, even in you know the West just doesn't want to serve. Uh, maybe it's too high risk or maybe it's not politically acceptable at the moment. But um but yeah, so that's that's what got me into Bitcoin in the first place. So I think for me, it's very much the um, the social uh, kind of like impact of the tech actually is what led to me getting so interested in uh, in the rest of it. Interesting. So basically, gift card arbitrage is what it sounded like. It was, yeah, yep. Interesting. Um, and at what point in time, you know, again. I don't like to do the origin story, but if you could give us a timeline, when did you kind of come about this world? Was it most people that we have on the show? It's usually around the 2011 or 2013 period. Is it somewhere around there? Yeah. So it was the 2013 run up, um, you know, before, before we all got goxed, uh, I, I came into that, uh, I came into the space then. Um, and then, you know, I sort of, uh, grew our first crypto business through, that really long uh, bear run. And so, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because now uh, this time around, people are a lot more, um, a lot more convinced, but I think 2014 through like early 2016 was, uh, was pretty rough. It's a good time to build a business when everyone else thinks you're crazy. So that happens a lot last year too. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you're definitely onto that now getting into keep. Um, and again, we want to go slow and then we're going to go fast because I know there's some technicalities there and we're going to start talking about spooky things like zero knowledge proofs. So don't get scared, people. Um, but if you could tell us what keep is, what is it about? What are you trying to solve? What is the use you know, kind of what is the overall need for it? And then we're going to go into deeper uh, kind of intricacies of the of the project. Yeah, for sure. So um, so fast forward. Uh, we ran the the the, uh, the business that came from that kind of original gift card arbitrage project I was doing. Uh, we ran it for for years. Uh, actually, it's still around. It's got a new team running it uh, called Fold. Um, but we ran it for years, and it kind of became a little um, it was a little dissatisfying actually because on the one hand, right, we're helping people use their cryptocurrency, which is awesome. Um, but then on the other hand, ultimately, we were acting as kind of like the central broker dealer in this ecosystem that we built. And uh, and I think that kind of bothered me because I was telling everyone about all the benefits of decentralized uh, finance and decentralized currency. And then we were like this like central, almost like a broker dealer for gift cards, right? And um, 
so so I started looking into how could we remove ourselves from the equation? How could we uh, maybe enable a market around us um, rather than just uh, just do the thing we were doing? And so I dug in. Uh, we we tried this on a couple different platforms way back in the day. If anyone remembers, like Omni and Counterparty and kind of like old style uh, ICO 1.0. I don't think a lot of people even know that was a thing. But um, we, we tried kind of all this old tech. And eventually, uh, early 2017, we took a peek at Ethereum. We were like, oh, this is great. Like, it looks like, uh, I don't want to call it production ready because that's a stretch, but it looks like something that we could apply to this problem. Um, but the first thing we realized, uh, I, I had assumed as kind of a Bitcoin focused developer that Ethereum had figured out confidentiality. Uh, and I don't mean like, I don't mean anything fancy. So I don't mean, uh, you know, Zcash style financial privacy or, or anything like that. I actually mean, I assumed as a developer that I could build an app on Ethereum without having to expose all of the data uh, of the application. And it turns out that that's not uh, the case. And so, um, and so Keep came about because we were actually trying to scratch our own itch on a project for Fold. Uh, so in an attempt to decentralize Fold, we realized that, like, you know, of course, enterprises aren't using public blockchains. Uh, if you do, you have to give up all of the data that's relevant to your enterprise. And uh, and I don't even just mean stuff that's like competitive advantage type stuff. I mean, like, you know, social security numbers and uh, sort of like, you know, personally identifiable information, medical information. Uh, and none of these uh, use cases could really be addressed by Ethereum out of the box. Um, and so that's what led to us working on Keep. Uh, we got really deep into scratching our own itch. My co-founder kind of tapped me on the shoulder and he was like, you know, as much as as much as the work we're doing with Fold is cool, the whole space needs this solution, not just us. So we're going to have to kind of go into what a zero knowledge proof is. We've had people talking about ZK proofs and ZK snarks on the show. And so yeah. it's a reminder, though, that this gets a little technical and we're going to try to make it a little easier, I hope. And so the idea if I'm not mistaken, is like you kind of have one person on one side. We'll call them Alice, of course, because we always use Alice. And then you have another person called Bob because, of course, Bob is just the other thing. These are names that are unfortunately within crypto. These are the names that we associate with all these different examples. So Alice sure. has a box. Bob has a box. And they have secrets in the box. And basically, then you can take it from there. And effectively, the idea is that somehow Alice can get some information from Bob without having to give everything away in the kitchen sink. And Bob can do that with Alice and not have to give away everything in the kitchen sink. So if you could, because you have a lot of experience with it, explain a zero-knowledge proof. Yeah, so um, so, so, I, so I wrote a blog post on this a couple of years ago where I tried to sort of aim for what are the uh, most the most human analogies that you could use? Um, Thank and God. I think like, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and so I've tried a couple on right. Uh, I've tried I've tried boxes and all sorts of things about uh, reading and this and that. But I think the one that I like the best, just because it's super visual. Um, of course, we're on a podcast, so that's not super visual. But hey, you guys have an imagination. Uh, is that uh, you know you. you a zero knowledge proof, you have this like huge, huge, uh, where's Waldo? Okay. And so you have, uh, you have Alice and Bob and, uh, we'll, we'll continue with that. And, you know, Alice wants to prove to Bob that she knows where Waldo is. 
but she doesn't want to give up the game, right? She still wants Bob to be able to find Waldo on his own and enjoy himself. She just wants to say, look, I got to it first. I beat you. And so, so what she does is she puts this huge piece of cardboard over this, uh, where's Waldo? And she cuts out the Waldo shape and she shows uh, Bob that, look, through this hole, you can see Waldo. You can't see where, because there's a whole bunch of cardboard in the way. You're not sure how I've moved, uh, moved this book around. Uh, or or wallpaper, wherever your Waldo is. Uh, and then, you know, and she removes it. Uh, and, you know, he can't tell uh, where Waldo is and see, he still has to hunt for himself. Um, so I think that's like maybe a way to understand kind of the mechanic. In practice, though, what this means is uh, I can prove particular pieces of uh, information to other people without giving away anything extra. So I can prove that, for example, I'm over the age of 21 without giving away the details on my driver's license or uh, or even better that I am over the drinking age in my jurisdiction or that I'm legally allowed to partake in a particular transaction without kind of saying, okay, now you need to actually custody my private information and become a, uh, you know, become another target for hackers. I love that example. I have never heard that example. I love that example. Again, I always joke on the show that I've had to spend the last few years trying to explain Bitcoin to my 62-year-old father-in-law who's from Russia and, you know, trying to go through the Apple, you know, kind of example and then breaking out the U.S. dollar and asking him, why. you know, we've all gone through that. Everyone who is in crypto has gone through the, the stories of trying to explain what the hell we all do with our days. But I love, love, love that example. That's great. So. Explain this a little bit more. This is coming from your uh, business paper. Um, sure. Off-chain containers for private data called Keeps that give smart contracts deep interactivity with private data without compromising transparency or audibility. So that is something that you state that you're doing with Keep. What does that mean? And again, I have a feeling that also has some semblances to the conversation that we're having about zero-knowledge proofs. Yeah, it does. So uh, we're using a um, a related technique, uh, and I'll, I'll try to tie this all together, but we're using a related technique called multi-party computation. And the basic idea is that, so now on top of Alice and Bob being able to, uh, being able to prove these things to each other, uh, you can also have um, sort of an autonomous party between Alice and Bob, right? So... Uh, so I'm going to to I'm going to totally break out of our where's Waldo because that example is not going to survive. Uh, but so, for example, so here, here's one like so let's say um, so let's say Alice now is uh, is seeking a loan uh, and maybe Bob is a, a lender. Um, you can use these techniques for multi-party computation to do things like maybe Alice doesn't want to give all of her payment uh, history. And, uh, you know, everything else, she doesn't want to involve Equifax in the equation, uh, as, as none of us, I think, today in, any longer want to involve them. Um, and the bank obviously wants to de-risk this investment uh, in Alice as much as possible. And so what the two can do is they can actually take their data and put it together uh, using this multi-party computation technique. And actually out of that, they can pop sort of a, uh, the bank can get like a yes, no, like, Given my risk uh, tolerance, should I actually do this loan? And what's great about that is um, it's a it's a it's a like zero knowledge proofs are one part of that, but they're not the whole thing. 
And it's just this great way to remove intermediaries where anywhere, I mean, in the same way financially, where anytime you see a clearinghouse, that's an application potentially for crypto. Uh, we have a we have a similar thing with multi-party computation where anywhere you see a, a data clearinghouse or a data broker where maybe competitors or adversaries are all having to come together, uh, now you can use multi-party computation uh, and 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 really keeps uh, to to remove that. So um, yeah, tell me if that's too pie in the sky, right? That's I, I'm trying oh. to keep it specific, but you're you're killing it. This is great, and so with. With on-chain, you know, kind of interactions on the Bitcoin blockchain, sure. we've obviously talked a lot about transactions per second, and that's a little bit more relevant sure. with Bitcoin's network. On Ethereum, and we just had a, a show with Munib from Blockstack, which was really great, and we were talking that transactions per second might not necessarily be the best benchmark to gauge how things are going on Ethereum. It's more about throughput. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Because you're, you know, you're obviously talking about, you know, potential of, you know, open finance and you're talking about lenders and borrowers getting matched together using the system on Keep, which obviously would yeah. have to be pretty fast. You don't want to be sitting there for a few minutes kind of wondering, you know, if you're going to get, you know, the loan or not. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so step back, I think, uh, with the scaling discussions, I, I don't want to dive too, too head first. Um, I think that it's probably worth pointing out that there are two big reasons that enterprises aren't using open chains today, right? Uh, and so, so one of them that we love to talk about is scalability. Um, so, you know, we we are not using a public blockchain because they are too slow. Uh, they, you know, we do not all want to compete for the same resources globally. Um, that's totally valid, and I think in a perfect world, uh, it makes a lot of sense to to move a lot of your computation to a second or a third layer. Um, and then the other the other complaint I think I hear a lot about uh, about kind of like using public chains for enterprise is is this sort of privacy and confidentiality issue. So I kind of think I see them as sort of the two pillars of what we're working on in public blockchain space to improve. Um, as far as how uh, the the work that we've done, because we're so focused on confidentiality, what we've tried to do is design a system that can take advantage of uh, scaling improvements, um, but not necessarily have to um, have to solve the problem ourselves. So some of the tech that we are using is a great way to take computation off chain um, and make your transactions very cheap. But that's kind of not that's not like the primary uh, use case. Got it. Um... And I think so. We, you know, we're talking a little bit about kind of you know side chains and zero knowledge proofs and things of that nature, taking things off of the initial chain. Um, you know, and if you're doing a transaction or if you're doing something on a you know consistent basis, why do you have to kind of reinvent the wheel every single time? If you can already have a standardized template already there, and that's why you have things like on Lightning, you have state channels, and you yeah. know things of that nature. Um, and so thinking about you know, some of the other things that you were writing about in terms of keep. So you mentioned that you first launched on Ethereum, but the underlying code is being crafted to easily allow for porting to new blockchains for cross-chain functionality. So I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking about in terms of other chains that this can go to in terms of interoperability. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think we've got a couple, a couple things to say about interop. On the one hand, I think there's this big narrative right now uh, which I think it was a lot stronger at the end of 2018, and now there's a little bit more skepticism. But it's just sort of like 
is, is Ethereum going to survive? Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ethereum as a developer. Um, I really appreciate the tooling and the work that's been done. Um, I think it's a fantastic chain to prototype on, right? Because I can sort of throw together whatever I want on it. Um, but we all thought that at the same time, and we're all competing for resources. Um, and so I think you've got a couple a couple challengers. Uh, some have been around for a while, right? So Tezos has been around for quite a while, but it is on mainnet. Uh, and it's still alive, which is, you know, saying something. Um, you have all of these chains that haven't launched yet. Um, Algorand, Definity, um, Solana, you know, Kadena, and all of them are uh, all of them are challenger chains, and some of them are carving out niches uh, for themselves, and some of them aren't. So the way that I look at this is, um, you know, I I started out as a Bitcoin maximalist until I until I realized that I needed to do something that Bitcoin just couldn't couldn't easily do, at least not without 10x the engineering effort. Um, and so I was determined to not then become an Ethereum maximalist uh, either. So I think, you know, the way that our project looks at this, Ethereum is the chain to target today. Um, but we're keeping our options open. And as more chains launch, uh, it only makes uh, our work stronger to be able to address uh, more chains and a wider audience. I commend you on not being a maximalist in either camp because I happen to think that that's... And we're going to have people like Pierre that's going to be coming on the show soon because I wanted to give the Bitcoin people a chance. I've already had Dan Held on the show, and obviously he's a massive Bitcoin maximalist. And even though, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I mean, and Dan's great. And I think you know it's funny because in, in a sense, I still have this deep held, um, this kind of like I do think that Bitcoin is the money that's going to win, right? But that doesn't mean that it's the only application of the tech. I agree. Um, Right. So like, I don't think that someone's going to snap their fingers. Like I don't personally, I don't think Ethereum is a challenger for Bitcoin. Um, but I do think that there is a place for more expressive chains um, than what we've seen from Bitcoin. Uh, and then I think, you know, the other thing that um, is that we're kind of seeing around interoperability right now is we're seeing Cosmos mm-hmm. uh, popping up. We're seeing Polkadot. And I think there's this kind of this question of like, who will, who will win interop? Um, and the, the way that I see it is uh, we'll all win, right? So, like, you, you don't win interrupt by creating a new intranet. Uh, you, you win it by tying everything together. And so, um, and so I think, like, you know, I, I think that we as developers, the space is only going to get more fragmented. And uh, while uh, I think Cosmos, for example, is going to be a huge improvement for new chains, we still have all of this, uh, all of this legacy stuff that we need to address on Bitcoin, on Ethereum, um, and if we and if we really want to make solutions that work well for customers, uh, mm. we're going to have to. I agree, um, and you know, maybe I get a little flack for that because I'm not, you know, hard set into one of the either camps that are out there, but I don't really care because I agree with you. I think you know, Bitcoin is money, and I think that Ethereum is a utility that we can build massive different applications on and so if you guys don't like it tough that's my stance change my opinion if you want right well you know uh bitcoin folks love to say like you know bitcoin doesn't care right (laughs) like they love to say like oh well you know you you don't like this community or this code or whatever but bitcoin's still running and so it's like um well ethereum doesn't care none of these other chains care either right and uh 
yeah. So you know who we'll really, see who's right. You know who really doesn't care? The institutional investor. They really don't <laughs> care. They just want to see these damn things work and where they can actually start making some some you know some investments and they can make a return on them. That's what they care about and that's what we're trying to get to. Um, so talking a little bit more about the use cases, we love, especially on the show, if there are use cases out there for the chains and for the protocols that people are putting together and the applications, you know, that is massive. That's a really big thing for people because a lot of people keep asking, well, what is it being used for? You know, is it actually being used? And so you mentioned that the applications of the system are unlimited, providing users with anatomy um, over personal information cross-chain applications, custom dark pools for financial order matching. That sounds really cool. Private file storage from smart contracts, global record systems, and much more. So, you know, what do you think, you know, as I said at the top of the hour and top of the show is that, you know, corporations have been kind of slow into the space. You're starting to see some starting to, you know, like Microsoft saying, oh, well, okay, maybe we're actually going to start playing with this on the public side. But then you've had the JP Morgan coin, the Facebook coin, the Samsung stuff. And sure. so, you know, talk to us about the applications of what you guys are doing with Keep and kind of the potential utilization from large corporations throughout the world to use it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let me try to unpack that uh, a little bit of editorializing. I think when you see these larger companies play in this space, like you know, I I, I mean, I get we get offers to um, you know, can we can we consult on on this or that kind of project, and uh, and one of the questions that I have to ask myself, and kind of the rule that we've set for ourselves is, is this a status quo project, right? Um, is this kind of an AM FM scenario? where this company is just trying to say, look, we've built a blockchain. You should use it uh, rather rather than actually kind of, uh, you know, changing the dynamics of how they do business or at least at least being open to that happening. Right. So um, so of the few that you listed, you know, at least a couple of those, not not to call it anyone in particular, uh, it, you know, they're they're not uh, it's it's hard to even think that they're good faith efforts. Um, they could totally spread the tech to many people, but at the expense of uh, at the expense of kind of uh, another siloed um, another siloed piece of technology. Uh, I don't want to call it a walled garden because I think that it's difficult to actually put up walls in this space. But um, so anyway, so I, I, I guess uh, in, in rant on the editorial there. Um, so stuff that stuff that I'm focused on though is very much kind of what I consider good faith efforts to to, to move the space forward. Uh, so that means not uh, not taking your centralized business model and stapling a blockchain onto it, um, but actually actually looking for novel ways to do business. Uh, so for example, uh, we're contacted. This one's still private, so I can't go uh, go into all the details. But we were contacted not too long ago by. Um, by a large uh, by a player in the insurance space, and what they're interested in doing is is actually making a good faith effort um, to change the way they do business and to uh, to build a kind of product that they couldn't build before um, using this tech. And so, what we're helping them with is uh, is actually kind of this cross chain interoperability piece. So you mentioned um, I've written in the past that there's a lot of cross chain opportunities for us. So one of the most obvious ones is Keep enables um, decentralized signing. So that sounds fancy, but what it basically means is signing Bitcoin transactions from Ethereum 
Uh, you can imagine signing Ethereum transactions from Definity and so on and so forth and kind of having this um, having this sort of ground up way to interoperate uh, between multiple blockchains. So that's a big focus uh, in our first few projects that we'll be announcing shortly. Um, another one, I mean, it, you know, similar is file storage. Right now, IPFS is great. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm interested to see what Protocol Labs does with Filecoin. But at the end of the day, all, all of this data is in the clear. And, uh, and you need to, you know, to build a business on this stuff, you often need data to be encrypted. You can't have it be public. So those are kind of those are areas we're focused on. I think decentralized signing uh, and cross-chain work is has really been what's um, what we focused on as a first use case. If Protocol Labs is listening to the show and they want to come on, everyone, you know, I want to know what's happening with Filecoin too. I think a lot of people want to know what's happening with Filecoin. Sure. So you guys want to come on a show and have a conversation? Let me know. Um, and so. At this point in time, I think a lot of people, you know, I think people are trying to actually start using some of these, you know, applications yeah. and some of these tooling. Can people use Keep today and how would they do that? No, no, we are pre-launch. Um, we've got our next big announcement at the end of July uh, that uh, I, I'm happy to send you an update when we when we do um, where people can start playing around. Matt is smiling right now, and uh, you guys can't see it, but I can see it, and he's laughing, so it's probably something good. Um, lastly, before we get into a little bit more about you, as I said, you know, we'd like to get a little bit more into the personal about like what you're reading and about what you're listening to. Talk to us a little bit about the token and how the work token works and how the incentive model works. You know, that's a big subject, but I would love to hear, and I think the listeners would like to know how it all works. And I know that there's kind of a difference between client and you kind of break it out in between the people that are supporting the network. Talk to us a little bit about that. And then I would really love to kind of hear about the governance structure that you guys have. Yeah, sure. So uh, we've taken a pretty hard line with the token mechanic. Um, I think that a lot of folks in this, I mean, you know, especially in 2017, obviously things have calmed down so much and people have gotten, I'm not going to say rational, but closer. Um, but in 2017, you would just slap a token on anything and ship it, right? And uh, it, it was pretty obvious that, you know, as the market kind of gets a little bit more rational and starts actually trying to apply valuation methods to these to these different protocols, that um, payments, that's not uh, that's that's not a strong like this. I, this entire idea of a utility token, which actually meant let's use a token for um, for like a branded payment, I think was kind of um, poor, poorly thought through. So uh, the, the way that it works in our particular system is uh, that the 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 reason the reason token needs to exist at all actually is uh, civil resistance. So the basic idea is that um, we have these privacy providers uh, who actually run keeps and who are running the multi-party computation in the background on the network to uh, deliver deliver results the chain and. Um, to be a part of that, you have to stake in this work token. And so the basic idea is uh, there's maybe a, a couple pieces that are important. So one is uh, you you will get uh, the work that you have staked pro rata relative to the rest of the system, right? So if you're uh, going to you know put a ton of money at risk, uh, then you're going to get a lot of opportunity to put in work. And if you do the work well, and if you don't cheat, and if you don't, uh, if your computers don't like shut down in the middle or you know have some ridiculous failure, then you're going to actually get cash flow. 
if you don't, then you're going to get slashed. Um, so it's very, uh, I hesitate to call it proof of stake. I try to leave the term proof of stake for actual consensus mechanisms, but it's a staking mechanism where um, you stake, you get work, you do work well, you get paid. Uh, if you cheat, you lose money. Got it. And I imagine the stakers are receiving some sort of a yield for staking, correct? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's kind of in vogue right now to uh, have like an inflation reward, yep. uh, which I think is sort of, um ridiculous is not the word i mean you know ultimately if you pay someone in uh in in unicorn points and then you say look if you do really good work i'll give you more unicorn points like that's not that uh that's not that interesting to me so we actually all stakers are paid in ether Mm -hmm. uh, or in another erc20 that they've chosen to opt into rather than inflating uh rather than inflating the work token because the whole point of the work token is is just to say what uh, what percentage of the cash flow can I try to go after in the network right now? And how much work can I do? It's almost like uh, owning a franchise versus, um, you know, versus this this weird idea of inflating a supply. And I don't know, it gets it gets pretty, pretty strange. So that's that's what I felt good about, because it's relying on, um, you know, whether or not you think Ether is hard money. That kind of shows you how deep I am into crypto. Uh, but, you know, it, it's actually relying on uh, someone else's currency rather than trying to reinvent that. Got it. And so getting to know Matt. So we like to, with our guests, kind of get a sense of what they're reading and what they're listening to. It's kind of what you're putting between your ears, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of the inputs. And so we'd love to know if you've read anything recently that resonated with you. It could be crypto or non-crypto. And then with music, you know, we'd love to know kind of what you're listening to, whether working, coding, traveling, what are you listening to? Yeah, so um, this is going to be a little disappointing. So I used to be an avid uh, avid reader and consumer of media. Uh, but I'm actually, I have two kids now. And, uh, and one of them is only six months old. So it's quite difficult. Uh, for me to actually commit to commit to reading anything good. So when I do, I used to have a, a pretty good mix of um, of hard and soft sci-fi and fantasy, uh, as well as like some weird stuff. Like one day I was just like, I'm going to learn how accounting works. And I read an introdu- uh, introduction to accounting uh, <laughs> like textbook. It was a pretty strange, uh, strange thing to do in my spare time. But um, but these days, I think you know, I, I totally am interested in kind of like near, near sci-fi mm-hmm. uh, because I, well, yeah, just, I don't have the time to commit to the exploration that I used to. So uh, for example, I think I've got a, uh, I've got uh, a Neil, a more recent Neil Stevenson. I believe it's called the um, Dodo yep. that, that I'm, uh, that I've just started working on. Um, and then, yeah, as far as, as far as uh, kind of in the crypto space, um, I used to drink from the fire hose and it's, it's not healthy. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on in crypto and there's a ton of like buzzwords and, 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 and in group language. Right. So if, if you are interested in, for example, scalability, there's maybe 20, 20 or 30 different vocab terms that you're going to have to learn. And, uh, and people know this, right. And it's easier to come up with new vocab, uh, and throw that out than it is to have good, clean thinking. So, um, so I've actually really cut down, and I try to focus on folks that I think are higher signal. Um, so for me, uh, because I'm technical, I lean very hard into, you know, what's happening on GitHub, 
Um, like for Ethereum, for example, what are the EIPs that are going, what are the EIPs, uh, which is the Ethereum improvement proposals that are going into Istanbul, uh, right. which is next hard fork. So I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit closer to the source uh, and kind of uh, maybe not lean in as much into crypto Twitter as I used to. Um, so yeah, ho- hopefully that helps. I mean, that's not like an awesome book recommendation or or Naval's latest tweet, uh, but <laughs> Well, Matt has already said that he's no longer a Bitcoin maximalist nor an Ethereum maximalist, and now he's saying he's not spending that much time on crypto Twitter. So everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, I can't listen to this show. Anyway, (laughs) it's it's great. Um, And with music now with two kids, I imagine you are kind of uh, Rolodex's baby shark. (laughs) It hurts to hear you said that way too close to home. Um, (laughs) You know, I wish all I wish all these music services let me cleanly distinguish between what I like and what my child is demanding. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, it all just gets mixed together. Yeah, you know, I uh, I'm 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 a big music fan. Um, I uh, of course now there's a phone going off. I'm a big music fan. I think it's it's a little eclectic. My wife is a classically trained cellist, and so that definitely impacts uh, what I listen to. Um, but then you know. I'm also into almost every incarnation of ska, some of which I think I could play today and be considered cool. And some of which is like very like lame nineties. Um, (laughs) I like, uh, you know, a various like kind of like Western takes on world music. So Yesayer and and some stuff like that. So I'm kind of all over the place. You take the cake for the person. You know, we've had a few, we've had a few first. Tim from Staked was the first that talked about country music and that you're the first person to talk about ska. It's an amazing, it's an amazing, you know, kind of cornucopia of music out there. Um, as we're getting to the top of the hour, we like to also give the chance for guests, you know, for people to learn more about Keep and for them to get involved, depending which way, if you have a Discord or if there's any place else that you guys want to point people to, sure. feel free to let uh, do that now. Yeah, please. Uh, so join our Slack. We're around. Happy to answer questions. Uh, you can go to keep.network and uh, put your email in. And uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, at me, at Matt, ready to talk. Awesome. This was a really fun conversation with Matt from Keep. I would definitely check out the project. As I said, some of the really great investors in the space are starting to spend a lot of time with these guys. This is a very uh, important thing uh, in terms of privacy on Ethereum and other chains. And this is something that a lot of people aren't necessarily you know, focusing on, which is surprising because it is important and it helps public blockchains get to a point where you know large corporations and everyone else out there can start using them. So take a look. Reach out to Matt. Thanks, Matt, for coming on. And we'll try to have you on in a few months to see how everything's going. Thanks a lot, David. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.